I want him to come and share. He's our 10-minute-plus speaker this morning. So welcome, Manassas. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, as they say in Hawaii, aloha. Aloha. <laughs> I spent, you know, some years in Hawaii. But in Fiji, we say, ni sambula vinaka. Ni sambula vinaka. Or just say, bula. 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 Man, you guys are qualified to go to Fiji. <laughs> nice and warm right now. <clears throat> well, Pastor has been asking me to, to share a move of God in the Fiji Islands uh, in the South Pacific uh, in 2002. <clears throat> uh, before I get into that, everybody knows Second Chronicles 7.14, right? If my people who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. And I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Well, I think, you know, when I've heard, you know, the, the stories of what happened in Fiji, that was like, that scripture was like the template or the pattern of what God did in the islands. All right? And uh, it's interesting that, you know, that scripture, when I, you know, over the years I've heard this, you know, the scripture been, you know, recited, you know, Christians all over the place. We know Second Chronicles 7.14. 
And I've always, you know, uh, fascinated with the list of things that it was supposed to do, right? But I have never actually thought about until about three weeks ago. There it is. Until <clears throat> about three weeks ago, I thought about the very first statement that God said, if my people, if my people, who are called by my name, right? If my people, he didn't say, if my fragmented people, if my divided people, this was the key, the unity of God's people, this was the huge, the biggest key to revival in Fiji. Let me back up a moment. <clears throat> anyway, that's, that's the Fiji Islands. We are right above New Zealand. I come from the, the biggest island sea where Coral Sea is. To the left, that's where I'm from. And we are right above New Zealand, and, and uh, it's very beautiful. Tons of Americans, you know, make their way down there every summer. So anyway, <clears throat> let me back up just a little bit, tell you a little bit about the history. Well, my people were cannibals. Yes. They were known the other day that they were the most darkened, evil people that you could ever find. Many explorers simply avoided Fiji. Captain James Cook, you know, avoided Fiji, you know, at all costs. Uh, so, because of the darkness, because of the evil, because of demonic oppression, oh, it's incredible. So, the missionaries first came to Fiji in 1835. 1835. There's a scripture in Isaiah 9. It says, the people who dwell in darkness saw a great light. You guys feel me with that? Every time I read the scripture, it gets me all the time. Right? Because this is exactly what happened in the Fiji Islands in 1835. They saw this great light. The light of the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> and so, at greater cost to the lives of the missionaries, one of the missionaries was even killed and eaten. His name was Thomas Baker. Right, Thomas Baker spent over 10 years in Fiji, preaching the gospel, translating you know, the, 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 the Bible into our language. They killed him in this one particular village. They were warned not to, but they did anyway. They cooked him. In the Fiji, you know, in the ancient cooking, you know, where they cook the meat underground. I have one at my place. <laughs> but anyway, they also even ate his shoes. So anyway, Thomas Big is one of my great heroes. <clears throat> so, but the gospel was established. The church was established. And the gospel went in different parts of Fiji, all over the islands. Tons of people were swept into the kingdom. Tons of people were swept into the kingdom. Anyway, the missionaries, I have a record, you know, at, uh, at home, what the missionaries wrote about the move of God in the Fiji Islands in the 1800s. They said it's one of the greatest victory for the gospel in anywhere in the world. Because what they saw when they got there and the evilness, they say that what these Fijians could do, even Satan had to be ashamed of himself. That's how bad it was. So anyway, that's 1835. Okay, 
back it up to the year 1990s. A couple of big things happened in the 1990s. This is kind of like a prelude to the huge revival, right? Yeah. One of the things that happened was that village that killed Thomas Baker and ate him, including his shoes. There was a curse on that village from that day, and they realized many years later, our forefathers did something incredibly evil. They went to the church and asked for forgiveness for what their forefathers did. Then the church organized, you know, this reconciliation between the descendants of Thomas Baker in England, and they flew them to Fiji, and there was a huge ceremony of reconciliation and asking for forgiveness and giving gifts, and the gospel was preached, and the whole village came to Christ. Incredible, right? That, was, that happened in the early 1990s, and another, here's another thing that happened in the 1990s. A gentleman by the name of Suli. Suli was a, uh, an engineer for the city of the capital of, of, uh, of Fiji, Suva. You can see her the big island right there at the very bottom. That's the capital of Suva. Well, Suli was an engineer for the city. The Lord told him, I want you to quit your job and prepare for something big. So he quit his job. Then the Lord said, I want you to get a bunch of young people together and train them for evangelism. So they trained them for evangelism. It took months and months of training. And then the Lord said, I want you to visit every single home in the nation of Fiji. Every single home. We got over 100 islands that are inhabited in every city, in every town, in every village. They even came to my village. Every single home they visited and presented the gospel to every member of that family. Tons of people swept into the kingdom, including my uncle, who was an ungodly person, right? Miraculously, God said, the whole entire family, his whole entire family got swept into the kingdom. And then, a bunch of guys in this movement decided, we're going to take this to other parts of the Pacific, South Pacific. So they went to the Solomon Islands, right? Solomon Islands, oh, real dark. Oh. So anyway, they went there, and they started in, they, they went to this, you know, the, the biggest island. They started in the coastal areas, visiting every home, presenting the gospel to, any, you know, to, to every person in, you know, in, in the homes. And then once they'd done that, then they said, well, is there any other place that we can visit? The local people, they said, well, there's a tribe called the Kayokis. There's a tribe that has never been reached. In fact, every effort by either the government or Christian missionaries have been either met by death or just been chased away. They are so close to any, anybody from the outside. Extremely demonic, cannibalism, and all of that. The darkness. So they decided, we're going to do some intense prayer. Right? Prayer and fasting, right? Seven days they bombarded this place in prayer and intense, intense prayer and fasting. And then they sent out about eight teams, two by twos. The Lord used these two guys who were young in the faith, right? They encountered, they first encountered this one big village 
When they came to this village, it was about thousands of people there. I said, what's going on? They found out that the biggest chief who was 100 years old was dying. And the reason for the occasion was they were all going to get together to elect the next chief. Well, of course, they were interrogated, they were arrested, I mean, they were punched and all that stuff. And then, so, so what, what's the purpose of, of your visit? You know, what, what are you bringing? What are you saying? They say, we are bringing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, no, 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 no. No gods are allowed. No gods are allowed. And then they were let go. They were let go. They said, we can pray for the chief. The chief, God can heal. Our God can heal. No, no, no chance whatsoever. So they were let go. The next day, the chief died. The chief died. Well, there was all preparation for the funeral, right? The following day, Jesus showed up and raised the chief from the dead. Right? He came back from the dead and he said, where are those two boys? Where are those two boys? They sent runners to go try and find the two boys. These two boys came back and said, I want the whole entire community to listen to these two boys. Because the Lord took him to hell and heaven. And said, listen to the two boys. This is the message our people need. They preach the gospel. The entire community came to Christ. Two years later, they decided this place, this environment, you know, this jungle life, it reminds them so much of their past. So they, moved, they all moved to the coastal areas and burned the entire settlement down, destroyed the works of evil and all that. Incredible. So that was 1996. Now the year 2000. We have a huge uh, election, huge election. <clears throat> and then a lot of people did not like the results of the election. And riots broke out. Riots broke out. I mean, it was bad. People dying, killing, and I mean, the buildings and businesses were burned down and all of that stuff, right? So a bunch of Christian leaders, a bunch of church leaders got together and said, we're going to cry out to God. We're going to cry out to God. So God, help us. We need you. We need you. And here's what, what the Lord said. Here's where Second Chronicles 7, 14 shows up. God said, little prayer, more unity. You guys reconcile and come together as a people belonging to me, then I will show up. Yeah. So these, these leaders worked on this unity thing for, for over 15 months. They started reconciling. They started forgiving one another. Right? They started confessing their sins to one another. They worked on it for over 15 months. And the Lord was pleased. And he showed up. And he showed up. Oh my goodness. Tons of people were swept into the kingdom. Now the last part of that, the last part of that verse, 
I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Let me tell you what happened. In one particular village, in one island, where my grandmother's from, this village, for over 50 years at least, has been undergoing incredible famine. In the islands, we know we depend so much on the ocean, right? They have seen so many, you know, they have seen dead coral for decades. No new coral, no new growth of coral, you know, appearing. So all the fish are gone. When they go into the land, you know, into, into, into the jungle, the fruits, the wild fruits, they just grow wild, are gone. Wild yams have never been seen in 40 years. You know, you, you know in, the, in the islands, you know, you cannot starve because, the, you know, the land provides what you need. You just go out there and get it. But in this particular village, none of that. All have disappeared. And a team was sent to this village. They preached the gospel. And the spirit came and hit the people in this village. They started giving their lives to the Lord and reconciling. Reconciliation. Right? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, Paul says, right? In my book, reconciliation is one of the most beautiful things ever. Reconciled to God and to one another. The following day, a huge rain came. And then the, the next day, just a huge rainbow. Three days later, the women ran out into the ocean. And they saw new coral growing from dead coral. They caught, that one day they caught over 3,000 fish. Fish that have never been seen in decades. The men went into the, you know, into, into the jungle and they saw new fruit trees growing. Wild yams they started growing again. They're all coming back. This happened so many times all over, the, all over the Fiji Islands. It is absolutely amazing. Waterways and water sources that have been cursed by people that practice witchcraft suddenly reversed. Yes, God started restoring Healing the land. I mean physically healing the land. Physically healing the land. To this day, there's, you know, because of this move you know, in, in Fiji, the, the, one of the big churches you know, that they started, you know, with uh, the guy they started, you know, the, they did the home, you know, uh, every home. The Lord told him, now build a church. So they built this humongous church. Tens of millions of dollars, right? He came to the United States and met this lady who's very prophetic, right? Been taken to heaven many, many times. She said, I got you the blueprint. The Lord gave me the blueprint for the church in Fiji. So she gave it to him and they built this church, right? So, I mean, this is a huge church. But one of the things, you know, that they've been doing is they have been sending missionaries all over the world, they literally have established themselves in over 100 countries. When I say establish, I mean people go over there long term to learn the language, to build church, to build hospitals, to build schools. I remember last year I called my brother, my brother is part of this church, right? And he said, I said, what are you guys doing? He said, well, I'm, we're making uniforms, school uniforms. For who? 
They say, we, our women went to Vietnam and started this work over there, build a church and a school and medical center. Really? Yeah, and the little girls, they also want to go to school. So we are making uniforms for school children in Vietnam. Stories like that, it happens over and over again. The islands, I can tell you, has come alive. Not only Fiji, but the Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, New Guinea, they are coming alive because of what God is doing in Christ and in the power of the Spirit. The world, the church has been awakened. The church has been sent out, being equipped to do the works of the kingdom. Later on this year, we're going to do a huge election in this country, right? If something breaks out, you know what God is going to call us, right? Call us to Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, if my people who are called by my name, if my people, God bless you. As I was waking up Friday morning, you know, I'm just praying and asking the Lord what his word is, what is he saying, thinking about last Sunday and the message, the title of the message. And uh, I was thinking about this coming Sunday and this old song came to my mind. You know, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. I had not heard that song in 100 years, but no, not 100 years, but I hadn't heard it in a long, long, long time. And so anyway, I looked it up, and I found that it, boy, it's very appropriate for the hour. And it said, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven. Feed me till I want no more. And then it says, open now the crystal fountain, whence the healing stream doth flow. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Strong deliverer, strong deliverer. But anyway, when I looked it up online, it wasn't as I remembered as a little boy. The, the version that I saw said this. It said, when the earth begins to tremble, bid our fearful thoughts be still. When thy judgments spread destruction, keep us safe on Zion's hill, singing praises, singing praises, songs of glory unto thee. And I thought, you know, we should remember some of those old hymns that we used to sing. You know, we forgot all about those things, and we, we, I really appreciate the worship today. It's a new generation. But I'm thankful that I wake up sometimes thinking about, oh, thou great Jehovah. You know, sometimes I wake up, I heard this morning, on Christ the solid rock I stand. I looked that up. You know, all other ground is sinking sand. How many of you know everything is sinking? But if you're standing on Christ, you're on solid ground. The Lord himself said the storms are coming. And so you don't have to, you don't have to be ashamed. The Lord said that himself, but there's a way in which you're going to stand. Now, in the book of Revelation, we know that the book of Revelation is not a scary book, right? It's a revelation of who? Jesus. It's an unfolding revelation of Jesus. You know, I thought this week, you know, when they prayed, even so come, Lord Jesus. You know what they were praying? Not only did they want to see him, but they had an understanding of the things that were going to happen when he shows up. 
And they said, regardless of the suffering, regardless of what happens on the earth, even so come, Lord Jesus. If you understand the Bible, you will be a little more cautious in singing that song. But in the book of Revelation, there are two specific things that, that's emphasized that we need to understand today. We need to grasp if we're going to survive in this day, okay? And we're not called to just survive, are we? We're called to thrive, and that's what these scriptures are about. The first thing is, it says, let him who has an ear, let him do what? Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We've been hearing what men have to say. Can I tell you, the Spirit is about to speak. And we're going to, in America, hear, thus saith the Lord again. And then the other dominant theme to the churches, to the letter, is to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me. To him who overcomes, you know, I will give. And they'll, they'll have the right to the tree of life. And there's so many promises to the overcomers. I have a feeling that overcoming is dependent on hearing. And we've arrived at a time in America where just hearing the latest, the greatest, the most polished, the most popular, the most familiar is no longer going to do. We don't need any more Christian cliches. The Christian cliches are about to be dumped in the garbage bucket of heaven. And God's going to disperse of them because that's all they were. You know, I was speaking with Jerry this after the baptism. It was an amazing time this past Sunday. He continues to touch people. We're going to keep doing that. Friday night, we're going to have them both cranked up for the Bobby Connor thing. And we're just going to believe God. I don't know. It's going to be amazing. But anyway, Jerry told me, he said, you know what a GMO seed is? Well, I think, yeah. And he was saying how the Lord showed him. You know, Jesus sows the seed, the word. But if you, if, you only, if you only have a GMO seed, it's not going to do you when the real storms, when the real challenges of life show up. You're going to have to have the seed that was sown into your heart, which is the very word of God, right? And we know that. We're going to have to hear from him. So uh, I want you to go with me first to Jeremiah chapter 8. I got all kinds of books and notes and I got all kinds of stuff this morning. I came armed and dangerous. I'm dangerous because I know just enough to know that I don't know what I ought to know. But I know him. And those, that, that scripture burns in me. I don't know everything that's going to happen. And those that tell us they do know, obviously, some of them don't really know what they obviously don't know. But what I do know, the scripture says, those who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So I know that. Now, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 4. I believe this is a word. He says, moreover, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has the people slidden back Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding? How many of you would think that since the scripture says whatever was written beforehand was written for our example on whom the ends of the ages have come that there's a possibility there's been some perpetual backsliding as a whole in the United States of America now I know there are remnants and pockets 
where there's a, a move of God that's budding. But he says that Jerusalem had held fast to deceit. They refused to return. And uh, he listened and heard, but they did not speak aright. No one repented. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course, his own way, as the horse rushes into the battle. In other words, everyone was just, you know, bent on, you know, they're going their way regardless of what was happening. Look in verse 7, very interesting scripture. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times. And you know what that verse tells you there, don't you? That's how babies really come. They come with storks. I've been wondering all this time. I never figured it out. No, that's obviously, it's, um, I, but you know, we're going to ask him, when I get, Lord, why'd you put stork in there? Well, a stork knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift, and the swallow, they observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. And I can tell you that today, there's been a con- you can call it a conspiracy, you can call it whatever you want, but there's been an undermining of removing the judgments of God where most of the people have no understanding. And in the days to come, they're going to be shaken because their faith is not built on the eternal seed, their faith is built on a GMO seed. And it was their own philosophy or doctrine, but my people do not know. How can you say we're wise? How do you say that? And the law or the word of the Lord is is with us. Look, the false pen of the scribes certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed, they're dismayed, taken. Behold, they've rejected the word of the Lord. And you know, this thought came to my mind this week. So I'm just going to share it because I believe the Holy Spirit. He said this, there's some people that preach the word regardless of the impact or the result to their ministry. Whether their ministry is blessed, popular, that's not the main thing. Their main thing is, hear the Lord and speak, thus saith the Lord. While others preach the word because, and hopefully to prop up, and hopefully to build their ministry. Does that make sense? We want to be among those that are not seeking to build a ministry, but seeking to obey the Lord. And you may or may not have a ministry. You have a ministry with God. You may or may not have a ministry with men. Everything that can be shaken is about to be shaken. Especially ministries. And my own feeling is it's about time, God. It's how the people are going to get set free. But anyway, we better stick to the subject. And I will. But these, they had in verse 9 and 10, these false prophets. Everyone was dealing falsely, verse 11, for they've healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, or in other words, superficially, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed, nor did they even know how to blush. In other words, you know, we're not shocked anymore over things that used to shock us just 20 years ago. Things that used to get our attention today, they, they happen and we almost give them no mind. And therefore they shall fall among those who fall in the time of their punishment. 
They shall be cast down, says the Lord, and I will surely consume them. Verse, uh, the end of that says, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. We don't want that to happen in America. The things that God has given us, the freedom. So why do you sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter the fortified cities and let us be silent. That's interesting. For the Lord our God has put us to silence. You know, there's a time we need to quit preaching and just listen. God, what are you saying? What if he had a way of silencing us? You know, there's an example of a church in New Hampshire where a member got the coronavirus. And it won't be long. And there are already many places around the earth. They've shut down all public gatherings, sporting events. I saw where an NBA player, who was that guy? Was James, LeBron James. You know, they're, they're looking at playing the NBA games in front of no, no fans. LeBron said, I'm not going to do it. What's he, what do you mean? Anyway, I could, that's a different subject. But there may be a day churches are shut down. There may be a silencing of the pulpits in America. I don't know. We're, we're, getting, we're making preparation. I also believe we're in a place of refuge. I believe we're in a place of protection place of healing because I've seen the antidote in the scripture I've seen the only formula that's going to work now again I don't know everything maybe it'll all be fixed tomorrow you wake up in the morning it's getting better maybe but if not we'll go back to the word because I believe I need I need to know what God says about things not what so-and-so says and anyway, you can read the rest of that. We look for peace in verse 15, but no good came. And for a time of health, and there was trouble. And the Lord said, I'm going to send my strong ones. In fact, in verse 17, behold, I will send serpents among you, vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. Now that sounds a little different, doesn't it? Do you think you could rebuke the serpents? that the Lord sends your way? How many of you think it would work? We do not know the judgments of God. We don't need a quick fix. We don't need a bandage. We don't need a prophecy that says it's all peace and safety. We need to know, thus saith the Lord. There's so, so much more. Did you know that, how many of you knew this? The true prophets in the Bible were not the ones that preached peace and safety. The true ones were the ones that preached the judgments that were coming so that the people would repent and turn to him and be delivered and be saved. Today, the ones that are the most popular are the ones that say peace and safety. While the ones that remind the people of the judgments or those that most would rather forget. I'll show you an example. Look over in Jeremiah 36. I can see now I'm going to have to, again, cut out some stuff. I said, I, last week, I said, God, I could write a book on this. Yes. Now it came to pass, verse 1. In the year... Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, 
king of Judah, take a scroll and a book and write it all the words that I've spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah. It may be, now listen to this, that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which, what does he say? The devil wants to bring. No, which I have purpose to bring upon them. Why? That every man may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Isn't it amazing today we hear just the opposite? There's so many scriptures. All right, go to Luke chapter 19. Here's something else. This is something we got to get. Luke chapter 19. Verse 41. Jesus says, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Now, why did he weep over it? He saw what was coming. Unlike the people that we read about earlier in Jeremiah, the people could not see what was coming. But Jesus saw what was coming. It didn't have to be. There was no repentance, and I'm going to show you. So he wept over the city, saying, if you had only known... If you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because, here's the reason, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, who's speaking here? The devil? Jesus. The the day of visitation refers to two things. Number one, the mercies of God or revival in the land. You didn't know when the spirit, when the wind was beginning to blow. And I can tell you now, there are people that have no, they have the, they don't have any foggiest, they, they have no idea what God's even been doing in this place. And they've grown almost hardened they don't know they can't hear they can't see the day of visitation they don't know the warning that Jesus has given them and then it also speaks of the visitation of the judgments real quick Jeremiah 28 you guys okay right first if I heard this for the first time I don't know if I would be okay You guys need to hear. You need to know what God's word says about things that are going on. And the only antidote, just like the only antidote for Fiji, was 2 Chronicles 7.14. Do you think we're any better in America? We don't need to repent. We don't need to reconcile with one another. Anyway, Jeremiah 28, I'm not going to read it all, but there was a prophet that showed up. He was a peace and safety prophet. Hananiah. He shows up, he says, hey, people of God, thus says the Lord, verse 2, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. I think this was the one that, anyway, he said he heard from the Lord, but he says, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. I've broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Verse 4, at the end, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Anyway, he's preaching peace and safety. Everything is going to be fine. Don't worry about anything. 
Go on as you are, as everything is good. Hasn't it always good been before? And Jeremiah shows up. And Jeremiah, he doesn't agree. Verse 8, the prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied about many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. Pandemic. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has sent. In other words, we can shorten that by saying the one who prophesies and his word does not come to pass, then what does that tell you? He's one that the Lord has not sent. Verse 15, then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, God is going to, he's going to have his way with the prophets. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died. And there's so many more things. But I just want to say those who overcome is linked to those who have ears to hear. Does that make sense? I want to have ears to hear. Now last week we looked at this was the most, the craziest subject the, great, the craziest title that I've ever been given. But we, I'm not going to let it go. God's purposes and promises in pestilence and plagues. And I believe that what God is saying to America is we need to heed what God's word says about this subject. Not what men say. Not what the CDC says, not what the WHO says. Who is the WHO? The World Health Organization. Who are they compared to what God has to say? Now we started. I'm going to give you a brief review. Is that okay? Remember Romans chapter 8. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. How many of you believe that? And we went into great detail. In that scripture, you know, it speaks about prayer when you're praying according to the will of God. But it says much more than that. It talks about suffering in this present age. A scripture that some of the church would like to, you know, just forget is there. But the emphasis is that if you, even if you are suffering in this present age, the promise still remains that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And then you go to the end of that chapter, and it's one of the most glorious chapters in all the Bible. For I am persuaded that neither death, neither death, nor life, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, and all these things, and you know, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. But we need to go back and look quickly. You guys that are watching now, you need to go back and get last week's message to get a little bit more in detail. But there were 13 reasons that we saw that are things that God is saying in times of pestilence and the promises. Number one was Matthew 24, remember? In other words, it can be a sign of the times. So what are you going to do about that? Jesus said, these things shall be. There will be wars and rumors of wars. You can get out and rebuke them all you want. 
There'll be some you can rebuke. There'll be some you can't. That's where it's going to take hearing, thus saith the Lord. You know, hearing his voice above every other. He said also there's going to be earthquake. There's going to be famine. Now, we saw what happened. A people moved to God and the famine was removed. That's a great example, a great testimony. He said there would be pestilence. How many of you know Jesus said that this was going to happen? Now, is this the ultimate one that Jesus said was going to happen in that scripture? I don't know. It could be just a birth pain. It could be the big one. I don't know. You know, we don't, sometimes the church grabs on to whatever pestilence comes along and they say, this is the one that marks the end of the world. And then in a month later, no one even remembers it was there. So we don't want to get hung up on the specific events. The revelation is not about the events, although the events will come. The revelation is about the person of Jesus. It's him. So you remember, regardless of the timing of this particular pestilence that now is sweeping the world, soon every nation. I saw where even Uganda has closed off. There will be no international conferences, conventions for Uganda. Kenya will follow. I'm a good thing we, it's a good thing we went ahead and canceled our tickets. They'll be closing off areas of the world. Will it be the whole world? I don't know. The things we'll see. But what do we do? How do remember that scripture, Matthew 24. How do we respond? When these things begin to happen on the earth, number one, be not troubled. Be not troubled. Number two, the end is not yet. So you should have that attitude. This, people will say, this marks the end of the world. Maybe. Maybe not. Because the next thing we're supposed to do is preach the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness. To all the nations. Well, what if they close off that nation? They give they some travel ban. I'm just telling you, God's way of getting us to places is going to be a little, more, little bit more exciting than 30-hour flights anyway. I'm not worried about how we get there. If he said we're going to get there, we're going to get there. But you know, another thing that scripture should tell us, hey, time is running out. It's not going to last forever. There will be a day. It'll be the final day. Now, let me confess something to you. You know, I did write one book, and we published it. I wrote another book before that, and I did have it self-published, but I never did anything with it. I don't, know, I don't know why. I just never felt. I did put an ad in Charisma, and I think the number of responses I got, well, I couldn't count them. Because there were no numbers. So anyway, I just parked the book. I borrowed some of it for this other book that I wrote. But the title of the book was Champions of the Faith at the End of the Age. And I, this week I found one of them. I said, God, this is pretty good stuff. I may want to reconsider this. But one of the chapters, it's called The Final Charge. I'm gonna, can I just read? Since I wrote it, I can do it. Speaking about Matthew 24 and the sign of your coming and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. And you know, Jesus told his disciples about the signs of the end of the age, but he wanted them to remain focused on their mission. 
He warned them not to allow anything, even a cataclysmic end of the age event to distract them from fulfilling their calling, which is by far the greatest end of the age event that will ever be known to man. Regardless of how dark it may become on the earth, how much sin and lawlessness increases, a testimony will be heard coming from the church that will declare it is finished. We will finish. He said, even as the Father sent me, so send I you. Just as Jesus finished the work, so we're going to also. But it will take a fresh charge, a fresh anointing. And then in that chapter, I wrote, history reveals that it will be during the most intense times of suffering and hardship that the message of the church was the most anointed and had the greatest impact. No doubt the Lord's greatest message was birthed out of his greatest suffering, which took place at Calvary. Likewise, the church at the end of the age will be required to endure much, but at the same time will possess an unprecedented authority and anointing to finish the task. I think I may want to get that book out again. Because I believe, that's in my heart. Even if I never... It's been on the shelf. Actually, it's been hidden in the dust, binges of my office. This is the message of my heart. God's raising up champions of the faith. And whether it's the end of the age or we're just preparing the way for you guys to come on the scene. I don't know all those things. All I know is I'm getting ready. Now, so that's the first one. We'll go quickly. Do you remember, anybody remember the second reason or the promise or purpose of God in times of pestilence? Psalm 91. Psalm 91. You know that's a scripture you may want to read a lot in this hour. And not only read it, you may want to apply it and abide in the promise. He that abides under the shadow of the Almighty. No plague shall come nigh their dwelling. But it does say that though a thousand may fall at your hand, ten thousand your right hand, have you ever thought about what that means? That means 10,000 people. Your right hand means very near to you. What does it say about that? Shall not come near you, but what does he say it is? It's also in that scripture. All I can Listen, I don't care if folks get upset with this. I'm just going to tell you what he said. It's the reward of the wicked. Read Psalm 91. This he said, is the reward of the wicked. Does that mean that no righteous will die? No. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, especially if the righteous are stupid and they don't obey the things that God told them to do to avoid the plague. Oh, well, I'm just going to trust God. And he gave you a whole book of things you're supposed to be doing. Anyway, we're going to find out though 10,000 shall fall. you you got to see this. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 16. Some people are going to get really upset with God at the end of the age. They're not going to appreciate the things he's doing on the earth. They're not going to be in agreement. Now, can you imagine not being in agreement with God? Is that going to change anything? If you said, God, I don't agree with what you're doing, is that going to change his mind? No, the thing is, we should agree and have our minds changed and renewed according to the word of God. So anyway, Revelation chapter 16, verse 5, I heard the angel of the waters say, You are righteous, O Lord, 
When they saw all that was happening on the earth, that's all they could say. God, you are righteous. You are righteous. The one who is and who was and is to be. Who is to be. Because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And you've given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. So what does that tell you? There is coming a reward for the wicked. That's why it's better to repent. It's better to be saved. We don't water down the message so, that we know as, so as to not offend those who are without Christ. Love would tell them the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you don't tell people the truth, they will not be free. You ought to see, let me just show you one more thing. Look at, look at verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these, what? Plagues. Who has power? The devil has power. No, God has power. God has power. But look what happened. Did the people repent? And they did not repent and give him glory. The word glory also means credit. They didn't give God credit. They didn't acknowledge him as sovereign, as Lord. God's going to change it. Now stay with me. I know you're asking some questions. I personally feel, and I, I put it in the back of this book, if I just read the book. We're in a time of transition where God's going to change our mindset. He's going to dump the GMO word that we've heard. And give us, thus saith the Lord word, that will endure forever. And we will stand the test of time. It's you, if you don't stand on his word, you're not going to make it. The storms are coming. I've seen them. Others have seen them. You don't even have to see them. Some prophets prophesy storms after they show up. Wow, that's a great prophet. No, he read the paper. The problem is he didn't read God's word. He doesn't know what the rest of the story is. So number three, another reason for the purpose is pestilence and plagues is an opportunity to stand and see the salvation of the Lord. The remedy, the antidote is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And there will be a people who will confess not how great they are or how immune they are, but they will confess how weak they are. They will say, oh God, there's nothing we can do with this great enemy that we're facing. But, oh God, our eyes are upon you. And in verse 9 it says that a people will cry out and say, we are your people and we are called by your name. And so plague or judgment or pestilence or famine, whatever, we shall call out to you and you shall hear and you shall save. That's still the remedy for this hour. The remedy is still Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It hadn't changed. We're not to boast in how protected we are. We boast in how great our God is. And God will come to a people that humble themselves. And then the plagues in Egypt were specific judgments against specific gods. Remember that? Do you think there are any gods in America? So what's God going to do? He's coming to shake the very foundation. To shake the gods. And we saw all this in the scripture. It says in Exodus, I will pass through the land. God said that. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. 
And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. You know, I was thinking, God, you talk about people may die from this. I thought, how many children are murdered every day? And the blood is crying out from the lands. You know, when I said the reward of the wicked, we could have gone back to the New Testament. Remember what the Bible says? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not yours. You give way. You don't, you don't carry your wrath. Vengeance is mine. You allow me. And I wonder, maybe, if the blood is not crying out in this hour for justice. And The crazy thought came to my mind. Lord, I know in the book of Revelation there are going to be all kinds of martyrs. And you're going to come and take vengeance. You're going to settle the score because they beheaded your people. And then the thought came to my mind, well, what if the martyrs have, it's already been happening in America. 2,000 plus babies every day are sacrificed to a God who is not the Lord God. And God's going to shake the foundations of Baal. And then fifth, why judgment or why pestilence and plagues? To show that he is Lord. And we read that last week. Remember the scripture, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. And it was a scripture that pointed to the New Testament that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And then the next thing, to bring out a people from the system of Babylon, the world. Exodus 18.10 says, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand and from under the hand of the Egyptians. God delivers us out of the world but also out from under the hand of the world. Do you see what I'm talking about? He wants us out from under the influence of the world system. So he's going to judge the system. And then the next thing is to raise up an army. Remember we read that, the word was host. He's obviously not talking about heaven's army in that text. He's talking about his own army that's about to go into the wilderness. So he's speaking about an earthly army. We're in the army now. God's raising up an army. And I can tell you, they are those that will hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, and they will be among the overcomers. It's not going to be a defeated army. Not a scared army. No, they'll be scared of him. The fear of the Lord is going to return to the land. We've been hearing that preached on, but now God's going to enforce it. I could show you so much about that. This is totally amazing. All right, the next thing, to prove that there's no one, no one like our God. When We used to play King of the Hill. You guys ever played that, that game, King of the Hill? Is it a, no, you never played it. What do you guys do? We used to play, um, Shirley, what was that game you told me that had to do back during the plague? They sang this ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies. Ashes, ashes. It was a song they sang during the plague. Where how many million people? I don't know. Anyway, that, you don't have to sing Ring Around the Rosie. But we, I'm in the army now. You should sing that because we're apart. But also, we used to play King of the Hill. In other words, God is going to be the last God standing. All other, you shall have no other God before me. 
He's given the world opportunity to get rid of the gods, but there's gonna be a day where he himself will come and get rid of all the gods. Does that make sense? He is the Lord in the midst of the land. I declare this morning that God's gonna show himself strong in Kirkland, Washington, in that nursing home, in that boat, on that boat, 20-something mile, whatever it is, out shore, I don't know how far it is. He's gonna show him strong in Italy. I saw where even the Vatican now has been touched by the virus. God is going to shake the Vatican. Nations are being shaken. Schools, universities that taught a religion that was anti-Christ, God's gonna come. Oh man, he's the Lord in the midst of the land. God's gonna show himself strong. And then to make a distinction between his people from the people of the world. Remember, they were those in Egypt, the plagues came, those in Goshen. Now you say, is that 100% in this day? Again, it will depend on the, the obedience of his people. But Jesus also said this. He said, come out from among them and be ye separate lest you share in her plagues. And then that his name might be declared in all the earth. You know there's no name greater, no name higher. The last name to be mentioned, it will not be the name of any other God or pretend to be God. It will be the name of Jesus. Remember Peter, James, and John, the Mount of Transfiguration. And um, Elijah shows up, you know, Moses. Shall we build three tabernacles? And then what happened? This, was it like a, the shadow, a mist came over, you know, and they fell to the ground. Then when they got up, opened their eyes, they only saw one. Who was it? Jesus. And he said, the voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm telling you, it's the son that his name might be declared. Now I know at the name of cancer, fear strikes the heart of many. Today I can tell you at the name of coronavirus, fear strikes the many. There is one name that dispels the fear of both, that is king over both, that is God there's no other God, and his name is Jesus. And then the next thing that we may know, that, that the earth belongs to the Lord. Now, we don't have time to get into this today, but you know there's a scripture in Revelation that says that Jesus will destroy those who destroyed the earth. And he's not talking about global warming. Save it for another day. And then the last thing is out of the plagues, God reveals his name and character as the God that healeth thee. The name Jehovah Rapha was given to God right after the plagues and after the judgments so that the people will know, if you obey me, I will, I will put none of these diseases. Why would God say that? Because he's God. I will put none of these diseases that I put upon the Egyptians. And he said his name is Jehovah Rapha, the God that healeth thee. You shall know him. And we're gonna get to know him. Now, last week, we quickly mention two scriptures. You go back and read them. Remember Amos chapter three, verses two through eight. We better look at that real quick. Just real, you guys, everybody good. We need to hear this word. And I just, 
oh man, there's so much that God is saying in this hour. I don't know how I'm going to get it. I just know it's, it's like fire in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in. And I pray this happens all over America because we're going to need fiery preachers of the gospel of the kingdom. Anyway, in verse 2, the Lord says, you're the only ones I've known in the families. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Remember, whom he loves, he does what? He disciplines. What if he ignored America? Then he would not love America. He says, can two walk together unless they're agreed? Oh, this is good. Look at verse 5. Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth and there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city or a nation, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Now, I know this blows away our theology. I'm going to try to help it make sense. Now, another scripture, you can read Isaiah 45, 5 to 7. We don't have time for that this morning, but that's another scripture. Now, do we take the devil out of the equation? Of course not. But remember in Genesis, Joseph, when his brothers sold him into slavery, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So where did he give the credit? To the evil? He gave the credit to God. Remember, we spoke about how Satan shows up at the beginning of Job's life. And he questions God and he asks permission. But then at the end of Job, after he lost everything, nobody in this room, nobody watching has lost what Job has lost. At the end of the life, Satan is not even around to be found. Job says nothing about Satan. He says, God, if I received blessing, can I not receive adversity? His faith was in God. And I tell you, God's going to restore. But, you know, think about the devil. We are to resist him. We are, we call to destroy the works, just like Jesus. The greatest work is sin. We're called to cast him out, not compromise. I was watching yesterday someone casting a demon out of a student on the beach in Myrtle Beach. Must be spring break. Now, this is great. If this is happening on spring break. Anyway, the guys, he, and it's no problem. I mean, he's okay, but he was asking, what's your name? And asking the demon, speak, identify yourself. Now, you know, that may be okay if the Lord tells you to do it. All I know we're to do is cast them out. I don't, we don't need to know their name. In Jesus' name. Anyway, they're having fun on Myrtle Beach. If that, and maybe that was a year ago. I don't know. I think it's from now. And then we know Ephesians refers to the church. We're going to make known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. One scripture, look quickly. Hebrews chapter 2. Let me just show you something about the devil. I always wondered about this scripture. God, how does this scripture fit? Well, look in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through his death. That's how he shared, right? Through the death on the cross, that through death he might, what? Destroy him, who? 
who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The word destroy means to render useless, unproductive, unprofitable, to render powerless. It's like removing the stripes during a court-martial of an officer. The Lord at the cross stripped the stripes through his own stripes in that public humiliation called the cross. And there are many more. You can go and read John chapter 16, verse 7 through 11. So what is God saying to the nations? I want to get, this is the final part, okay? What's he saying? Some are saying, he's saying, pray for the vaccine. If they did come up with a vaccine, it would be a temporary fix. Because if Jesus meant what he said in Matthew chapter 24, no vaccine is going to be the remedy. No vaccine. God's not going to let man be God any longer. And I don't know the timing, but this is what I believe God is saying. Look in Hebrews chapter 13. How does it all fit together? I want to know. I can hear the hunger. I want to know all this too. We could have shared so much more. But I'll save it for a rainy day. Because we might have a few rainy days. That is if the Lord was serious. If he was joking, then everything will be fine. But if he was serious, these are serious times that are going to demand serious people. That's what he says is going to happen. Now, Hosea chapter 13, verse 4. Now, this is really good. Watch it. Verse 4, yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. Remember the plagues that I brought upon to separate my people and demonstrate who I am. And you shall know no God but me, for there's no Savior besides me. Verse 9, O Israel, or America, or Italy, or Sweden, or Brazil, or a hundred and something plus nations of the earth. Oh, nations, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. Do you see that? God says, you're, whatever you're facing, your help is from me. I will be your king. Where is any other that he may save you in all of your cities? Right now in America, from San Francisco to Seattle to New York, and you're going to hear of more cities, more and more. He says, where are those that can save you in all of your cities? Look down in verse 14. And I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O oh, death, I will be your plague. O oh, grave, I will be your destruction. Now, you know what he's pointing to, don't you? Remember the scripture? It says, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. But thanks be to God. Remember, sin brought death. But Jesus at the cross brought what? Victory. So what is he saying in verse 14? He says, you want to be delivered from a plague. You want to be delivered from a pestilence. I became a plague for you at the cross. I became the coronavirus. I took on the sin of humanity. I took on all the viruses known to man at the cross. I will be a plague. I took on death. And your answer is in me to turn to the cross. Now look back 
in Hosea in chapter 6. And this is where we stop. Does this make sense? Hosea chapter 6. Now here's what the Lord's saying today to the nation. And again, it all may be worked out in the morning. Maybe. Maybe. But I'm going to stick with God's word if it is or it isn't. I'm going to stand on the word. Verse 1, Hosea chapter 6, here's what he says. Come, come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for our own nation that God, you would not allow us the quick fix, but this would be the catalyst that causes a great spiritual awakening to erupt across the land. God, I pray that out of this, which is obviously evil, that a great good would come, that this nation and the nations of the earth will return to you. I pray, God, for the gift of repentance to be poured out over America, that, God, people will realize there's no other hope, there's no other way, that Jesus became a plague on the cross and that his victory assures victory for everyone on the face of the earth that would put their trust in him. Lord, I thank you the answer is not a vaccine, though they may come up with one. I thank you the ultimate eternal answer is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that his blood was enough to cleanse from all sin. God, I ask you, please, don't let us miss this opportunity. Don't let us miss this day of visitation that stands before us to see your glory. Cover the land just like the water covers the sea. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus who rose from the dead and lives forever. Amen.